Hello, Valley Point Church. Thank you for watching today. I hope you have a great Sunday. Hey, special treat today. We have a guest speaker. I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to say thank you to all who participated in our night of worship this past Tuesday. It was a great night, and it was so good, so good to gather and sing and pray and hear from God's Word. It was a very encouraging night. Please continue to watch our website, social media, and the weekly email for updates on other events. I want to ask you to do something, okay? Please pray with me as we prepare to move into step three of our welcome back plan. We look forward to that step, but we'll only take it when we feel it is safe. So please pray. Okay, today, Dr. Joe Modica returns to Valley Point. Joe is a professor, as well as the chaplain of Eastern University in St. David's. Dr. Modica, he's one of our favorites. He challenges us and helps us think. He continues our theme, cliche-ish. Wherever you are watching from right now, please welcome Dr. Modica. Well, good morning, Valley Point Church. It is good to be back with you. It's been quite the journey amid this continuing COVID-19 pandemic. As of today, we are experiencing about three and a half million infections and nearing 138,000 deaths. It is overwhelming. It has been hard and difficult and it's uncertain for so many. Yet this morning we can gather together because of our hope in Jesus Christ. And we quickly learned that the church is not a physical building, although I am currently in your physical building recording this message, but really that the church is the people of God in the world that offers hope to the world by the way in which we live and in relationship with Jesus Christ. This sermon series about cliches is an interesting and timely one. One of the definitions, as you know, of a cliche is, quote, anything that has become trite or commonplace through overuse. For me, cliches sometimes detract from the true meaning or intent of something really important. I often find that cliches can make us intellectual, intellectually lazy. We don't want to think that deeply, so we go to a cliché as a convenient way to think shallow. So I have a cliché that I want to offer in this series this morning, but I'll tell you at first it's going to sound odd or even heretical. So maybe, just maybe, this might be my last visit to Valley Point Church. Yet, I do think that this is one of the clichés I've heard during this pandemic, particularly in Zoom meetings or sometimes even written in an email. So here's my selected cliche, especially for this pandemic that we find ourselves in. Here it is. The cliche is, don't worry, God's in control. Now, when you first read this, it does seem incorrect. And I would also say that scripturally, we do know that God is in control. I don't always agree with the first part, 
we do get it, we do worry, and sometimes we worry for good reasons. The scriptures do speak of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, and sovereignty means, in a sense, ultimate authority, uh, someone who's in control of all of the affairs. Think about the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, often you'll see God's sovereignty highlighted. Look at uh, Psalm 47, verses 6 through 9. It reads this. For, uh, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing, sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. God is king over all the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Psalm 47 gives a sense of God's sovereignty. What about Psalm 115, verse 3? It reads, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Or Psalm 121, just a few verses, verses 1 through 8. Just listen. The psalmist writes, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Psalm 121. Now, there's an inherent tension as we go through the COVID-19 pandemic right now about grasping God's sovereignty and the reality that we see day to day, week to week, and now month to month. We have to understand of, of human agency or free will. Think for a moment of the recent racial injustices and protests. In addition, we live in a fallen and broken and sinful world where the Apostle Paul notes in his letter to the Romans chapter 8 that our creation is groaning for redemption. So, do I believe in God's sovereignty? That God is in control of the world? Yes. Yet, at times it seems like the world is out of control. A cliche unless we understand the mystery of God. This is a cliche unless we're able to embrace as believers uh, in Jesus Christ that we can embrace mystery. Mystery is a good word in Scripture. You know, the prophet Isaiah, as you're familiar with, in chapter 55, says something like this, right? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That is a good word of caution as we grapple with, don't worry, God's in control. So when we look at our world during a pandemic, we might honestly ask, is God really in control? I mean, where is God in the suffering, the death, and the worry? If God is truly in control, why are we experiencing this? Why are we experiencing economic challenges, loved ones who are sick? Maybe we know of someone who has died of COVID-19 and the worrying concerns. 
I don't have an answer for that. So if you're looking for one from me, I'm going to be awfully disappointing to you this morning. But I do believe there is an inherent mystery in Scripture uh, to the question I posed. And I'm worried when people blightly use this cliche as a way of avoiding difficult conversations. I think if you avoid this question, you are doing a disservice to people who are honestly trying to grapple with God's sovereignty and the pain and suffering we see in this current pandemic. Father James Martin, I got an opportunity to hear him once in a lecture in Paoli, Pennsylvania. He's a Roman Catholic priest from the Jesuit um, branch. He grew up in Plymouth Meeting. He uh, writes for the American uh, Magazine. And he wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times in March. And I really encourage you to take a look at it. March of this year, he wrote an op-ed piece entitled, Where is God in a Pandemic? Where is God in a Pandemic? Father James Martin. Let me offer a quote that was very helpful to me as I work with university students and continue to do so as we go through this very difficult time. Quote from uh, Father Martin. He says, in the end, the most honest answer to the question of why the COVID-19 virus is killing thousands of people, why infections, the infectious diseases ravage humanity, and why there is suffering at all is this. We don't know. For me, this is the most honest and accurate answer. One could also suggest how viruses are part of the natural world and in some way contribute to life. But this approach fails objectively when speaking to someone who lost a friend or loved one. An important question for the believer in times of suffering is this. Can you believe in a God that you don't understand? Can you believe in a God that you don't understand? There's a related cliche to this statement, which I won't get into uh, this morning, but it goes something like this. And maybe you've heard this cliche in conversations, in emails, or in Zoom meetings. Here it is. Don't worry. God has a purpose for this COVID-19 pandemic. God has a purpose. And you think, oh my, well, what could the purpose be, <laughs> right? I, I, I struggle with that. Uh, but Christians sometimes are very quick to give answers to that question to other people. Of course, there's so many different responses. So what then is the purpose of the pandemic? Like Father Martin, I don't know. And I've heard and read many purposes, especially about judgment on the United States. That's what one Christian told me. Uh, maybe it's judgment on the United States, or maybe it's judgment on the church that God sent this pandemic to us. This morning, um, what I like to do in our brief time together is take a look at a portion of Scripture that has helped me wrestle with this pandemic as I grasp both concepts, God's sovereignty and the reality of pain and suffering. You will not be surprised that it comes from the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. It is a book that we'll take a look at this morning. Uh, Lamentations is not the name of, of a person. It's literally to lament, to grieve, to wail, to mourn. But this is a text in Lamentations 3, 17 to 24, that offers two things at once. 
lament and hope. Lament and hope. And I do encourage you, if you have a Bible, uh, to go ahead and get one, because we're going to take a look at this text, and we're going to try to glean a sense of what we could learn from this text as we continue through this pandemic. I'm going to read the text and then um, make some observations and perhaps be able to see what the writer is doing here. So Lamentations 3, verse 17 and following, it says this, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I have hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible in the message, paraphrased Lamentations 3, 17 uh, to 24 this way. Oh, the other verse, yeah, the last verse I didn't read is, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. This is how he does the paraphrase of the same text. I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what is good, what the good life is like. I say to myself, it is it. Is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. I never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, oh, well, I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one thing I remember and remembering, and I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They've created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness? I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over and over again. He's all I've got left. It's interesting. The book of Lamentations in an English translation is actually five chapters, but each chapter is a poem. So Lamentations is one long epic poem. It's all poetry, no prose. If you look at your printed Bible, you'll see that the typeset is one of poetry. It's interesting, if I was to move the book of Lamentations, right now it sits in the prophet, uh, with the prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. I probably would like to move Lamentations over to Psalms and Proverbs because of its poetical nature, which oftentimes gives us wisdom, right? Poetry in the Bible oftentimes gives us wisdom of how to live skillfully. But I'm not moving it, don't worry. I have no authority to move Lamentations over a couple of books back. So there are four, uh, the first four chapters of, for, of our Hebrew poems, and they're acrostic poems, which is beautiful because an acrostic basically takes the first, uh, takes the letter of each of the Hebrew alphabet and begins the line with that Hebrew letter. And that's how the first four uh, chapters go. And then the fifth chapter breaks the acrostic and kind of is still poetry, but seems to be a bit more chaotic, as one author said. So 
It was a book that I believe was easy to memorize Lamentations because of its structure, poetical structure, using the acrostic. When you think about Hebrew acrostic, I think of my daughter Meredith when she was five or six years old and she was dancing. And of course, we went to her recital at the end of the school year. And you may have heard this song, uh, and it was certainly appropriate for the children as they lined up um, from A to Z. Basically, it's the song, A, you're adorable, B, you're so beautiful, C, you're the cutie, full of charm, D, you're a darling, and E, you're exciting, and F, you're a feather in my arms. Right? There's a song, and the children then know exactly how the song goes by remembering which letter and which word is associated with it. Same thing with the Hebrew poetry in the first four chapters of Lamentations. It is beautiful, and I encourage you strongly to read through the book in one sitting and try to grasp what is going on in that book. What's going on in the book is simply that it's a lament because of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians, who did so uh, in 586 BCE, when, they, when um, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came to the southern kingdom of Judah to both destroy the temple and to, and to loot it and to, be, and to scoop up the Jews that they wanted in, the, in Babylon and put them into exile for 70 years. It's called the Babylonian exile. So this is a book lamenting that, um, that episode, which was not a small episode by any stretch of the imagination, but it was endemic it, it was it was born into the psyche of the israelites that they knew of a time when their temple was destroyed by the babylonians and people were scooped up and brought into babylonian exile the, the book is oftentimes um, attributed to the prophet jeremiah because it's the book right after jeremiah we don't know really who wrote it but uh, Jeremiah sometimes is called the weeping prophet because Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And so some, some, some have, have supposed that he wrote this long epic poem to lament, to lament. So it is a recognition, lamentation is, is a recognition of God's sovereignty and pain and suffering together, which is an odd thing to do, right? If you think God's in control, then you would think God would help us avoid pain and suffering. Yet we see the pain and suffering and we ask whether God's in control. The book of lament is an expression of grief, hope, but it's also grief and sorrow, wailing, moaning. It's a book of pain and confession, the processing of emotion. It's almost like a therapy session of sorts for the Israelite people to process how they are grappling with the temple in which God instructed them to build. You remember the plans were given to David and then David's son Solomon built this wonderful edifice in Jerusalem and Jews would come three times a year from around the world to be part of the, uh, the pilgrimage festivals and daily work there. Now it's gone. Now it's destroyed by an outside nation. It is a form of protest too. lamentations. Part of the book is, God, why are you letting this happen? We are the chosen people. You have blessed us and so forth. It's a space. Lamentation offers a space to voice 
confusion. Doesn't this sound a little bit like what some of us have been experiencing since we have been we we, we know of the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic? The Book of Lamentations gives dignity to human suffering. The gift of the church, the gift of Valley Point Church, the gift of the Christian Church during a time of COVID-19 pandemic is to offer lament for people, offer a space to lament, offer a space to give dignity to people in their pain and suffering, in their worry, in their uncertainty, so that they can be encouraged by our prayers, by our presence, even if it's virtually, by our phone calls, emails, and so forth. We have to avoid cliches, especially especially during a pandemic, which sometimes more people, and we want to use cliches because we're so overwhelmed by the reality. Let's take a look quickly at this text. Um, the first part of it is really interesting to me, right? Uh, the person who's written this poem says, I've forgotten what happiness is, the thought of my affliction, and my homelessness is worm and gall, and my soul continually does what? Thinks of it and is bowed down and so forth. That's the orientation part of this text, meaning the person who's writing it is overwhelmed with pain and suffering and wondering where is God in all of it and, and seems to have forgotten or is the thought process is, is one of not being able to understand and questioning what is going on. The next one is really interesting, right? We'll call this the reorientation. We, all, we need a reorientation when we're going through things that just don't make sense. It's in verse 21. You probably saw that when I read it initially. The, per, the person of lamentation writes, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Do you see this? But this I call to mind. It's a reorientation. The, the person remembers something that triggers, that offers the ability to have hope. To have hope. And then lastly, we see this great, great um, couple of verses that one great hymn in, of the Christian church, Great is Thy Faithfulness, was based on. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Right? The great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, recognizes God's constancy even when we vacillate. Right? Even when we choose and uh, to not understand, or maybe we're so overwhelmed that we can't understand, God's faithfulness still remains constant. Isn't this interesting? We go from orientation to reorientation to a new orientation. I think that's really important. A few observations just based on the verses here. Verse 17, my soul is bereft of peace, right? My soul is bereft of peace. The Hebrew for bereft is cast off or rejected. That means I am so restless. I am so uh, troubled. My spirit is troubled. I don't know how to handle situations. My soul is cast off or my soul has rejected peace because of the circumstances 
I find myself in. Verse 18, God is my glory. What does that mean, God is my glory? I like the new, uh, I like the English Standard Version translation. It translates this Hebrew phrase as my endurance is gone. I like that. My resiliency, my, my endurance is gone. Sometimes we get so fatigued that, that I, 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 I had hoped for things to be different and I, my resiliency or my endurance is gone. Verse 19, the thought of my own affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. Now that needs a little bit of interpretation there, right? Well, affliction, I think makes sense. My homelessness or my dislocation. I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling uncertain or I'm feeling worried about the unknown and, and what, how do we handle this and what do we do with students in the fall semester as we think about classes and chapel and you can become dislocated, right? You can become homeless in your own self. Not that I don't have a home to go to, but I feel lost. I feel disconnected. I feel dislocated. Wormwood and gall in the Hebrew Bible, wormwood was a plant, a bitter plant that was used uh, uh, with a bitter taste that was, was symbolic of sorrow. Same thing with gall, poisonous water. Oh my, the thought of my own affliction and my own dislocation is like bitterness, sorrow, and poison water. Oh my. No, uh, verse 20, my soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. Bow down within me, a broken spirit. A broken spirit. I've been in touch with a number of the essential workers. You probably all know essential personnel, essential workers. Uh, just to let you know, the university chap uh, chaplain at Eastern University is not an essential personnel or worker. So I... I stay at home in the safety of my own confines, right? But there are people at our, on our campus who are essential personnel, like our public safety offices, our plan operations, people that do the mail. So, so, so many people that are heroes in many ways who have really kept the university uh, going uh, even during a pandemic. You know nurses and doctors, you know postal workers, you know uh, uh, people who care for people, right? The, the idea is that, that you know, those people are continually uh, enduring for us, right? And, and being able to know that um, they can become overwhelmed. Many of them have, and they just, because of their spirit, and we need to remember how courageous they are. Verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is a turning point in the text, right? But... It's a shift. I call uh, this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The, the verb to return here is the 12th most used verb in the Old Testament. This verb, uh, shrub, uh, is, is used 12, uh, the 12th most verb, uh, verb used in the Old Testament. It's used mostly by Jeremiah, right? Not surprising if some people think Jeremiah wrote Lamentation. This is a, like calling to mind, returning is something that we need to do. And I believe the role of the church, Valley Point Church, what's one of the roles when you gather each Sunday morning is to what? Is to call to mind the things that God has done, right? To call to mind the things that God has done 
so that we continue to engender hope uh, as a community each and every week. What does the church do sometimes to, for that to happen? How about maybe the recitation of the Apostles' Creed, reciting a creed together? Uh, how about maybe reciting the Lord's Prayer together is a way or, or singing together, right? Or celebrating the Lord's table together, right? All these things are to help us be mindful of our hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Next is verse 22, the steadfast love, right? Um, the steadfast love or hesed, loving kindness, used over 250 times in the Old Testament. Hesed, steadfast, continual love, uh, over half the time, that you find it in the Psalms. And it basically is, is a covenantal love. It's a, it's a love that does not fluctuate. Even though we fluctuate, God remains constant. And then mercies, compassion, ne, uh, never his compassion never comes to an end. That's what's being called to mind by the writer of Lamentations. And then in verse 24, finally, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will have hope in him. The Lord is my allotment. The Lord is my possession. As you know, in, in the Old Testament, the, the concept of land was so important to the Israelites to have a home, to have a social location. So in some ways, by saying the Lord is my portion, is that uh, the Lord is um, someone who is, is my possession, right? Is someone who I can trust. There's an allotment there that is for me, is for me. And therefore, I will have hope. Well, Professor Tom Wright, who is perhaps the world's foremost New Testament scholar, has recently completed a small but very thoughtful book. And here's a book I encourage you to read. It's called God and the Pandemic, A Christian Reflection on the Coronavirus and Its Aftermath. It's only 76 pages. You could probably read it in a day or a long afternoon. Professor Wright tackles how one can begin to think about the pandemic that we're currently in and what insights one can glean from the Bible, especially the ministry of Jesus. This is a quote from the book that I think is really helpful to me and I hope will be to you. Here's a quote on page three from Professor Wright. He writes, actually, the best answer I've heard in the last few weeks has not been to the question why, it's been to the question, what? What can we do? His point being, asking the question, why is this happening? Although it's, a, it's, it's an appropriate question, is not the most helpful question. But rather, he would say, we should be asking, what can we do? What can the church do? What, how can we respond is perhaps a better question that the church can ask. So friends, yes, God is in control. But what, 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 that, what that really means during a pandemic is that we need to shift the question as, as suggested by Professor Wright from why to what. From why is, is this happening? And I must say something cliche-ish about it because I'm a Christian and I, I know people will ask me, I don't know if you ever feel pressure because people know you're religious or Christian that you have to answer the question, why is this happening? I had one email say, the reason why I respond to the why question, Joe, is because I don't want to embarrass God. I said, 
I didn't write this, but I was thinking to myself, hmm, you don't want to embarrass God. Let me make two observations about that statement. First, God is capable of handling embarrassment. There's no problem with that. And second, whatever you say to clearly explain why this is happening will guarantee, will surely embarrass God. So don't, don't worry about embarrassing God. We don't have to have all the answers, right? We don't have to have all the answers, but we could still love God and love our neighbor. The question of what allows us to live into the mystery of God's sovereignty rather than trying to explain it. It allows the church to be salt and light in their communities. And friends, it really gives us a measure of humility. The watts during a pandemic are key. How about simply wearing a face mask? To me, is one way to live out Jesus' great commandment to love God and love neighbor. That simple nonpartisan commitment, albeit cumbersome and annoying at times, is a way of loving your neighbor. How about maybe giving blood? Check in on your neighbors. Make a phone call to someone you haven't spoken to in a while. Write a note card. Send an encouraging email or text. How about read the book of Lamentations in one sitting? Pray for your pastor and your church leadership during this time. Go to church virtually. It is not ideal. I realize it. But it's a great opportunity to stay connected. As you know, the church, the church was and will never be a building. How about read a good book about something maybe that you know nothing about or very little about? I'm reading books on race relationships in the United States, right? With all the racial protests and injustices. It's important. And you may be asking now, where is Jesus in all of this, right? We've been talking about Lamentations and an important book, but where is Jesus in all of this? Let me remind you that Jesus showed us how to lament. Jesus is a model of Lamentations. Think about in John chapter 11, when Jesus hears about his dear friend Lazarus who had died. We know the end of the story, but we don't know the middle of the story. John chapter 11, verse 35 says poignantly, Jesus wept for his friend. Jesus lamented for Lazarus. I think that uh, in closing, I would like to end with, I'm going to call this the pandemic prayer. I know it doesn't talk about a pandemic, but I do believe the Lord's prayer is a, well, it's a, pray, it's a prayer that I pray every day in my devotions. I always recite the Lord's prayer. To me, it gives me focus. It gives me structure. It demonstrates what my responsibility is in the world, who God is, and what my response to God should be. I hope that you will pray this prayer regularly and understand it to be something of, uh, that we can do in a pandemic together. We're going to recite it in a moment, but I will say that I'm not going to exegete the prayer here, but it does give us ways of living that will help us understand what our role is in the world. So let's pray together in closing the Lord's Prayer. Pray with me this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Continue to love God and love neighbor throughout this pandemic.